Well, welcome to the Beth and Julie show. Here we are. It's a surprise Beth and Julie show. It's just us. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently uh, Kevin's not feeling great. So last minute, just me and Beth, but hey, we're going to make it work. This is going to be fun. It'll be good. And we hope he feels better soon. He just got back from Guatemala. So the whole fam went down a little bit and we just want them feeling better. Yeah. hundred percent. So, and I, I changed, I rearranged my office yesterday. It looks so good. So I feel like everything's a little different. I'm trying to figure it out. Throws me off a little bit, but. Are you one of those people though, that like when you rearrange furniture, you're like, or that you have the need to rearrange furniture because it makes your whole house feel new. Mm, I don't rearrange much because I'm just kind of like a, I I don't like things to change. Yeah. Um, But every once in a while I get the itch, which is what happens here. No, I love that. And it's interesting. My office, I feel like I rearrange more than anything because it's where I spend my most time in, obviously. But what I've kind of realized, which honestly, I didn't really realize until now, until we're talking live in this moment, um, is that like, we've moved houses a lot, obviously. Right. And with each house, it gets a little bit better, you know, cause we're a little bit older. Maybe we can afford a little bit more or like, depending on where we're living, but in the houses that like, I didn't like very much or weren't necessarily my taste. I rearranged mm-hmm. furniture a lot. Oh, okay. Yeah. It could be, so. but this one, you've had it in your head from when you, when y'all were building it probably. So yeah, this one we built, like we didn't pick the floor plan. We only made like a couple changes, but everything else like I selected or we selected. And so it feels more like us and I don't have the need to rearrange. I mean, we've only been here for two months. So yeah. ask me again in a year. If yeah, report back in six months. <laughs> we'll and see. it forces you to clean and dust. That was the other good thing. Oh yeah, that's true. That's the other nice thing about moving is you get rid of things. (laughs) All right, well, let's get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 311. I am Beth Russell and with me today is Julie Jardigan. I'm excited to be here. This should be fun. We had a, we had a Jen Beth Julie show not long yeah. ago and it was super fun. So, so much fun. So, so this will be great. And we just need, I need to not go off on my random tangents <laughs> oh, we love or maybe I need to. Exactly. This is the perfect time. This I is your it. chance. <laughs> go off the rails. <laughs> okay. So I guess we'll get started with story time. Um, we had an interesting call this week with the builder and it just reminded me to not overcomplicate and that we shouldn't be overcomplicating things as decision makers within our companies. Uh, In this particular example, they were talking about a promotion or an incentive and their plan was to pause it for like five days and then have it go live again. And immediately I was like, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Like, what is the thought process here? What is the goal? 
And originally the response was they just, you know, want to take a pause and then hopefully they can get more attention when they goes live again. And so we brought it back up on our leadership call and dove a little bit deeper, like got to the root of the issue. And we're like, okay, what is the real intent here and the logic behind this pause so that we can understand and plan accordingly? And the response was, well, the thought is, is that if we take it off and then we put it back on and we refresh the graphics, we refresh some of the messaging that it'll look brand new and people will be like, oh, what's that? And it'll get a little bit more attention. And while from like a psychological standpoint and a consumerism standpoint, that could very well be true. I was like, let's take a moment and step back and let's look at our numbers first. Because if you don't have a huge amount of return visitors to your site, then everything looks new to them anyway. Yeah. They're not living in that world that they know what you're running at all times. Yeah, exactly. They're not stalking your every move and like remembering every single graphic that you have on your site. So we took a look and their return traffic was minimal. It it wasn't the, the dominant force on their website. So it ultimately didn't make sense. And then when you factor in their small lead volume, because a lot of people are are running into a smaller lead volume right now, month over month. It just was like not worth it because their messaging was actually driving some leads, which ended up being like 15% of their total lead volume for the month. So it's like, do you want to risk losing any leads that you could get in that small window? And the risk just wasn't worth the potential reward in that situation. So in that, the story and the lesson there is get down to the root of the issue and really like get to what goal it is that you guys are trying to achieve. Use some backwards math if you need to. Apply some data to create some logic around it and determine if it's even worth the work. The work that we put in to find out if that was worth worth it for them is, more wor- is less work than it would be for them to remove it, come up with new messaging, put it back on, rebuild ads and do all that behind the scenes. And I think the other good lesson here is like, go be the best at your organization. That if people are throwing things at you from different departments or leadership or whoever, just to take the time to stop and be like, tell me more about that. Like, why are you wanting to do it this way? What are we trying to achieve? Um, Don't be afraid to ask those questions because they might have a perfectly good, you're like, ah, perfect. That makes sense. And then everybody's on the same page. Um, But I think sometimes, especially if it's coming from above us, but sometimes we're like, yes, okay, we'll do that. And we don't take the time to stop and ask the ask the questions of why. Yeah, and how you frame it. It doesn't have to be a conflict. It doesn't have to be an engagement of like me versus them. It just is getting down to the root of the issue so that everyone, like you said, everyone's on the same page and they understand the intent. Because I think where communication gets lost a lot of times in every single company, regardless if you're in housing or not, is that people aren't understanding the intent or the why behind mm-hmm. what they're doing and they're just executing and things just get lost. Yeah. Definitely. And expectations aren't meant when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, mine's also kind of about goals, but it's from a different point. Amit, do you set a lot of goals? Are you a goal person? Like, do you like New Year's resolutions and like goals for the new year? Are you into that? I'm not into New Year's resolutions because I feel like oftentimes they're empty promises that we make to one another, you know, or like make to mm-hmm. ourselves. 
I do love goal setting though. I'm like that neurotic person. That's like, okay, in one year I want to be here and two years I want to be here. And something that I used to have my team do all the time was build like a five-year plan. And that five-year plan leaders listening, make note of this. I learned this from my husband should always include your personal life. It should always include your family because wherever you are with your family in that time of your life is going to impact where you want to be in your professional life. And so the two can't be completely separate from one another in regards to your growth and your progression and, and the person you want to become. So yeah, big five-year plan type person. So true. I love that. And next month, especially December's when everybody's making like 2024 plans professionally and personally, we've already started talking about budgets and things. So I would say take some time in December before you're setting all those goals and plans for 2024 to reflect on 2023. What were your goals at the beginning of the year? Um, Work professionally at your builder and personally, what did you achieve? What did you not achieve? And take some time to celebrate your wins. Like what went well? What did I do? What did I, what am I really proud of this year? So, um, I do some journaling kind of stuff just because I process things better writing. And that's one thing I've been trying to do more instead of always looking at the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, um, stop and take a look at what's going well, what you're proud of, what you learned. So November would be a great time for that, maybe around your Thanksgiving break. And then you can start really focusing on 2024 plans uh, in December. And I love that stuff. So, and it's kind of weird right now. I'm kind of in between because I wrote the book last year and that's all done. Um, I had a little injury. So some of my like jujitsu stuff is kind of on hold. So, uh, it's kind of fun to come up with something new. So that's where I am right now. I love that. And especially because the growth doesn't happen without the reflection. And so you can use that reflection over your previous year professionally, and then don't be afraid, like don't hoard that and keep it to yourself put it in some, some form of digestible format that you can provide to your leadership and say, look at what I have done. Look at what our department has done. Look at what our team has done. And this is like quantify that impact on the organization because there's a lot of opportunity and that's how you can grow professionally within your career to say like, this is what we're doing. This is the impact we had. There's no denying marketing now. Okay. People. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you said, such a good opportunity to celebrate your team right now. So take a look and use that just to celebrate what everybody's done, done this year. Cause you know, it's been tough. It's been a tough market and people are still like fighting for those last sales at the end of the year, trying to meet goals. Um, but just set aside some time, put it on your calendar. It's a good time for it. Such good advice. I love it. I want to see, like, I want people to share like what they're doing and how they set their goals and how they how they maybe report on their year-end impact or things like that. So if you're in all access, share some of that. If you're listening right now, we would love to see it. Yeah. I love it. And do you remember what your word was from last year? I remember a lot of people had a word last year. Does anybody remember their word? Oh, what was your word? And did you live it out this year? (laughs) Did I live it out? Maybe Carly remembers hers. I think Carly had one. Maybe Jen had one. Mine was definitely centered around like change because I was going through a lot of change professionally. So at the beginning of the year, I mean, I started with deconvert in March, so mine, I don't know what it was, but I should look back now. I'm curious. No, I don't remember either. (laughs) I have to go look report back. Okay. So what would your word be for next year though? 
I don't know. See, I have to work on that. Um, um, what would my word be? I think, um, some version of like confidence, because I think there's some things that are new to me that I'm working on. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to step into like that, um, you know, not having imposter syndrome being, um, you know, um, looking at where I'm at, that kind of thing. So I don't know if confidence is the word, but I think it's some version, version of that is what mine will be. So I'm working on it. I love it. And I think that's so cool of you to admit on the podcast too, because it's a realization that like all of us have that imposter syndrome at time, right? Like oh, even yeah. the people that we go to for advice and mentorship or guidance or coaching or whatever, like every single person has some sort of imposter syndrome in their life. Even Kevin, probably. Are you listening? I don't know. Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin will feel it for a second and then research it and then not have it anymore. <laughs> we'll be on it. He'll stay up till 3 a.m. Yeah. listening to a podcast about it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew. Just wanted to let you know that the last Market Proof Marketing Academy of this year is open for registration. The Academy will run from December 5th through the 8th and is entirely virtual. There are no secrets. We teach you every strategy, technique, and best practices we use every single day. You'll learn Google Ads, Facebook Ads, Google Analytics, and Data Studio to help drive quality traffic to generate more leads, appointments, and sales. Whether you manage all of your marketing in-house or working with a vendor, you will absolutely see a return on your investment. Do not wait to register. We have limited seats available, so sign up soon. Hope to see you there. Okay, so with goals and planning for 2024, a perfect transition onto the news is our first article that says 2024 looks to be a defining year in the ad market. And this article is from Ad Week. Um, and it basically is talking about how the global ad spend will turn a corner and rising to 8.2% from this year's what they call modest 4.4% in 2023, which I think is very poignant to Kevin's budgeting video that he put out. If y'all haven't watched it, definitely mm -hmm. re recommend doing that because a lot of people over the, or a lot of builders over the past, what was it? Three to four years had really pulled back their ad spend or their marketing spend in comparison to their total revenue. And, you know, a lot of conversations I've been having recently is like, oh, my budget's going to be cut next year. My budget's going to be cut next year. But this article, forward it to your, your higher ups or your CFO or something, because it's also talking about how ad spend's going to continue to get more expensive. Yeah, exactly. When I read this article, it was almost like they were excited, like it was a good turning point. The ad spend's going to go up. It's also more competition. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, especially, I always tell people as far as Facebook, you know, in Google search, we're just probably competing against the builder down the road or a realtor or something like that. In Facebook, come Christmas season, we're competing just for eyeballs. So that could be Macy's or, you know, whoever is um, advertising. So yeah, we're turning this corner of more ad spend, but it also means more competition. Things could get more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, and it also says um, most people are looking to spend it in display, video, search, and social um, are dominating CMOs, global media plans. And I think that's also, people come to us sometimes and they're like, what's the new, you know, okay, we've done Facebook and we've done search. What else can we do? 
And it's like, there are other things and we can talk through all the other options, but like globally, this is what people, this is what's working right now. Um, so I think a lot of people are using those same tools that are really reaching people. And um, that's where we have to kind of start. And then we can grow out from there and experiment with different things. Yeah, there was a mention in the article that like the most of this revenue, where is it right here, is actually going to the huge media networks like Amazon and and Meta and things like that. So, I mean, people are spending money in the same places and you have to think of what are the, where is it relevant to your industry? Like when TikTok advertising became a huge thing, people were coming to us being like, should we advertise on TikTok? Should we do? And it's like, not for housing, not for new home construction. It's not going to put a dent in what it is that you have. But I think what you should also take away from that is, okay, so display requires content and good design, good brand messaging, a good logo, all those things. Video is content, invest in your content, search and social. I mean, keeping things strong, optimizing those and understanding how things like you said, how the market will get more expensive. So kind of relaying that messaging to your higher up saying people are going to be spending more money next year with the election mm -hmm. and the Olympics happening. And so you have to understand how that's going to impact perhaps your Facebook budget, like you just said. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just going to be, we're just in a harder market than we were two years ago. You know, it's just um, different interest rates, different environment. So we probably are going to have to spend a little more, use a little more advertising and still be mm -hmm. efficient with it. But we just need to make sure we have that money kind of socked away just, just in case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause Lord knows the big guys aren't going to hold back. No, no. Okay. Our next article is reshaping the American dream. Millennials and Gen Z struggle to leave the nest. Yeah, this one was interesting because if you open up the actual study and the report from the study, there's like you're just inundated with graphs and, and information, and all these numbers comparing the two generation. But the sum of it is basically saying that millennials and Gen Z are low are leaving the nest, aka their parents' homes, at a slower rate than previous generations, which I don't really think comes to as a surprise to anybody. I don't think so. I don't think so for, for numerous reasons. I mean, it's more expensive to move into your mm -hmm. own place, inflation. Um, they're paying more for school or they're more in debt for school. There's just a lot of things, um, that kind of play into that. I'm kind of, and I talk, I've talked about it before on the podcast. I'm kind of from the opposite angle. We have my mom living with us and she's lived with us for years. So we're a multi-generational household, but the opposite direction. My mom was with us instead of us, you know, living with her parents. But then we also had my niece come live with us um, mm -hmm. over the summer for a little bit too. So I do think it will be interesting to see if that changes new homes at all. If more people, I know there are some like multi-generational plans and things out there in the world, but as there's more like grown young adults living in houses or mother-in-laws living in houses, um, if that's going to change kind of how anybody does, does business. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we saw it a lot in Texas because multi-generation multi-generational housing was a lot more popular down there than it is where I'm at right now. And they started building houses with dual primary suites for that reason. 
-hmm. And sometimes they're like off to the side. Sometimes they're integrated within the plan. And it's interesting, like the different ways that you can market that as a mother-in-law suite or grandparent suite and thing like that. But what I love about what you just said is so important too. And it speaks a lot to our generation is that a lot of people are moving in their parents to help with childcare because mm-hmm. they have to work. They have to be a dual income house in order to afford housing where they want to yeah. be. And yeah. then childcare is so expensive in a lot of these large markets that multi-generational housing is the only way that they can afford childcare. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a good point. And we do have, I know at least one of the builders I've worked with are doing um, ADUs to have the acronym, right? Um, auxiliary mm. dwelling units. So building a little she shed or, you know, suite or um, yeah. What, what's the right word for it? But I think that's what they're calling them. So I think, I think that's going to evolve more and more over coming years as we see more and more of, you know, of this being the trend, whether it's because people are choosing it or they're kind of forced into it either way. It would be interesting to see a full development that could fit those ADUs, as you said, mm-hmm. on the lot. Cause you know, like a basic production development with like a 60 by 120 home yeah. site would not be able to fit that. Yeah. The one I'm familiar with, they're a custom builder. So it makes mm-hmm. sense, but that would be really interesting for, I can think of one production builder um, that had something similar, but that leads into one of our other one of our other um, articles, because there was some question on whether you could build, I think theirs was like a garage apartment basically, and mm-hmm. whether that could be used as a short-term rental or not. And that kind of depended on the community too. So we'll get to that too. <laughs> Do you want to jump into that article now? Yeah, let's, because I think it also ties into why you have more millennials and Gen Zers living with their parents still because they can't find somewhere to rent. Yep. Yep. Uh, This is from Business Insider, and it's the best evidence yet that banning Airbnbs will make rent go down. Uh, And basically what it's talking about is that um, New York just passed a new, I don't know if it's a new law or they're just enforcing it now, but basically it took it from 22,000 Airbnbs in New York down to 3,000. Uh, is what's happening. And and the idea of the article basically is just supply and demand. So because we're having such an affordability issue, and especially somewhere in New York is having an affordability issue, the um, demand is the same. There's still the equal number of people looking for an apartment in New York City, but Airbnb is taking some of that supply and making them short-term rentals so that somebody can't rent it out for a long-term, their permanent home. So what they're saying is if you open those all up for long-term rentals, not just Airbnb, that rents are going to go down. And they've seen some some proof of that. I think there was another, um, their other example, I think was in California, wasn't it? Where they banned mm-hmm. it several years ago and it did actually bring um, rents down. So it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting uh, conversation to have. Of course, Airbnb says we're not the reason affordability is a problem, which yeah, it's a complex issue. Just banning Airbnbs by itself is not going to fix all affordability yeah. issues. But really, then they pointed back to home builders because they said, really, the only thing that's going to fix affordability is us having more housing. Um, and that would mean 
us. <laughs> that yeah. would mean builders. That's what we need is more housing. But that's hard in somewhere like New York City. But it's interesting. Yeah. And I think well, they're absolutely right. It's all comes down, it all comes down to zoning, which is this is talking about as well, like restricting how many Airbnbs there are. Yep. If there's zoning for new construction, if there's zoning for new residential housing units in the area, you have to be able to resupply the area. And I, when I read this, it came to mind was Bryan and Bryan College Station area in Texas, because there's a ton of Airbnbs in that area because people fled to the area for Texas A&M games and they spend every weekend there. And then you have a college town. So all of the like low rent housing is all taken up by college kids. So if you're a young professional trying to find a nice place to live with a decent rent that's affordable, where you're not surrounded by college kids up until three o'clock in the morning partying or being really rowdy every night of the week, your options are limited. And it's just because there's, you know, Airbnbs popping up left and right in that area. So I do wonder, I will be curious to hear if anybody says like what the majority of those Airbnb landlords do. Will they sell now that they can't do that? Will they keep them and rent them as long-term? Do they even want to be long-term landlords or did they just like mm -hmm. the money of the short-term? So um, now that that many people can't use that business model, like will, will listings flood the um, flood the market in New York because they'll just want to sell them or they could rent them. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting thing too. Like all of a sudden there's all these apartments used for one things that can't be used for that anymore. So what's going to happen with that? Yeah. There was some cases where the, the city allowed for an incentive. They didn't, I don't think that they explained what that incentive was if they converted to a long-term rental, but mm. again, it depends on what that incentive is. Is that incentive worth it enough for them to become yeah. long-term landlords. And then what do you do with all of the stuff and furnishings that you put into that Airbnb mm -hmm. as well? That's what I find so interesting about what they do here locally. So we're, we're located right outside of Augusta. Obviously Augusta is known for Augusta national and home of the masters. And so what the area did was make it so you could rent out your home as a short-term rental during the nationals. I'm sorry, during the masters. I don't know why I said the nationals. It's because I'm a home builder. That's why. <laughs> so you can rent out your house for up to two weeks, 14 days during the masters, or actually I think it's like at any point during the year, up to 14 days, and you don't have to pay taxes mm. on the income that you make during that time period. And they yeah. do that to incentivize obviously homeowners doing this, mm. renting out their homes, but also to keep Airbnbs at bay and to keep hotel development at bay. And so the area isn't just run up with these huge resorts and hotels all around town. And it's amazing. Like we were just talking to our neighbors and they put professional golfers in this neighborhood. They put the staff and the people that work here. Our Airbnb that we stayed in for two months is owned by a lady who owns a catering company who only caters during the masters. Mm. So she has like a team of chefs that come into the area, stay at this Airbnb, which is why she bought it. And then the chefs go work at other Airbnbs during the week of masters as like the in-home chef. And it's like a yeah. whole beaming industry around here. It's, it's mm -hmm. fascinating. 
It is. It is. I know I have some family up around Lexington, Kentucky, and they have something similar with um, the Kentucky Derby. Like if you have somewhere like with a little land where you can put horses, crazy money, crazy money for people who can come stay during horse racing season. So like all these little niche um, things you don't hear about. Yeah. These like local markets. It's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. it you, that's what's fun about moving so much is you get, I get to learn stuff that I've never, right? I never <laughs> otherwise would have been interested in learning about previously. Yeah. What can you tell us about Kansas, Beth? <laughs> uh, I like Kansas city. Kansas city is lovely. The people are so nice. I remember my first, I'll go see, I told you a tangent was bound to happen. <laughs> Julie. I started it. Sorry. This will, you know what? We didn't have favorites. This will be my favorite. And it is the people of Kansas city. Okay. And I probably, people are currently going to be like, you're going to talk about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to talk about my own personal experience. My sister-in-law is from Northern Missouri. So they, she did her residency in Kansas city and my, so they lived there. For a period of time and they got married they got married in kansas city so my first time visiting kansas city was for their wedding and i remember for a little background story i'm from the east coast i'm from the baltimore dc area so the cities that i'm used to are dc and baltimore where people don't stop for you mm-hmm. like if you're a pedestrian like good luck you better practice your whole look both ways if you're trying to cross the street and you better wait for that ticker okay we're in, we're walking towards downtown and there's this whole area called the plaza, which is where like all the really nice shops and restaurants are. So we were walking downtown there and we're about to cross the highway, the like the major road cutting through the plaza and there's no crosswalk where we're at. So we're just waiting for traffic to stop or, you know, to go by these people and kids, they just stop for you. They just stop in the middle of the highway and just let you cross. You're like, what's happening? I was flabbergasted. I thought I was going to get handed like a casserole at the same time on the other side of the street. Like they were just so nice. It was amazing. So That's shout funny. out to that like Midwest. Yeah. Don't even need crosswalks in Kansas City. I love it. It's lovely. It's very nice. So are well, we going ta- to tackle this next article? <laughs> we, we can talk about it because we actually did have some fun conversation around it. Let's talk about it. So um, what happens is people throw in in our podcast on our Slack, our, our internal Slack idea. It's, you know, articles they see that we can talk about in the podcast. And this one, you know, we were probably going to let just Kevin run with it, but Kevin's not here. So it's us. And um, we're not science people, but <laughs> but we're my reaction was I am not a bioengineer. <laughs> like, exactly. Out of my house. So this is from uh, finance.yahoo. Is that what this is from? Uh, scientists make breakthrough in research that could change the way our homes are constructed. Um, so basically, and forgive our um, pronunciation on this because this is not stuff we have to talk about. Researchers at UK's Newcastle University are using fungal networks to build structures. So basically, if you think about like a mushroom, and the roots and the stuff that goes under the ground, um, you can make things from that. It's a fungal network. Uh, small strings that are part of a fungus intertwined underground with tree roots. It's part of a network of plants that pass water and nutrients to each other. We're getting a little over, over science-y here. Um, but anyway, so they've 
basically they figured out that this might be a replacement to use less concrete and mm -hmm. make buildings um, more lightweight and better for the environment. Um, but we laughed because you click through let the picture they use for the article is like they're framing walls. So you think it's like a material for like a traditionally framed house. But if you click from the yeah. article to the research, wherever they got it, it's like these two people sitting on the ground in this little mushroom looking <laughs> hut, like over, over their heads. And so it looks like fungus. Say, it looks like fungus. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's from a mushroom and you can probably tell it. So it makes me laugh that like the headline acts like that we found this brand new material and now it's going to be in your houses, but unless you want to sit on the floor in your little fungus hut, I don't think we're quite there yet. And we also had the conversation um, before we started recording that this is kind of like the 3d printing conversations that we were having all the time. Like it is a really cool thing and we like to talk about it and new materials but it's it's not going to get there until it looks recognizable or gets more um people get more used to it it's just like until it looks something that we recognize as what we want to live in as a home but it's always yeah. good you know to see these things and follow the research but I'm going to age myself. And my reference was the show Roswell, the original one, not this remake that they put out there, but the original Roswell from like the early 2000s, late 90s. It looked like the hut that the aliens came out of. And that's yeah. like, no one wants to live in that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that, you know, if you dig into it, they can say that they can basically reconstruct foundations and walls through this material similar to how they 3D print foundation and walls. Yeah. But even 3D printed houses don't look very nice right now. Like they have this yeah. weird body to them. Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah. how else to phrase that. Yes. I agree. I had a friend whose dad, his dream was always to build one of the hay bale, you know, the hay bale. And then you put the mud over top of the hay bale houses. That's that's the comment. If you look at the comment on it, there's like, oh, really? one, yeah, he's like, my next house is going to be made out of strong clay. <laughs> yes, that is exactly that was I had a I had a friend that that was her dad's dream. Did he ever do it? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I Never wonder, like, interesting. Okay, I'd walk through it. I'd walk through this one. I'd walk through that. I'd walk through a 3D printed home. Not going to buy one, not going to yeah. invest in one. We'll eat our words in 20 years when we're both living in our mushroom hut. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for it. I can't wait for it. All right. Do you have any favorites or not so favorites? Well, mine's not very fun. It's, um, and y'all may have heard this. Oh, I forgot the brand name. So I was looking for barbecue sauce, but apparently there's Japanese barbecue sauce. Have oh you heard gosh, of this? Oh my gosh, we have it. It's Bacans so good. Or B A C H A N. I only so bought it because it like I was making an order online and I accidentally came across it and it had like amazing reviews and all these people bought it and I bought it. It's delicious. I love it. So good. So it's it's like more like a it's called a barbecue sauce, but it's more like a soy sauce kind mm -hmm. of teriyaki soy sauce, whatever. Yeah. But it's just good for cooking with. So that is kind of random, but that's my new favorite because I just discovered it I'm like full on that train with you we do you know how we found out about it mm -mm. Costco samples oh okay 
The power okay. of Costco samples. Well, you'll have to tell me how to use it because I've only used it in like a couple things so far. Like we have a bunch of, my husband's a hunter. So we have a bunch of like ground meat in the freezer all the time. So I made kind of like a stir fry kind of thing with it. Um, it was so good. Yeah. So that's another thing to share. Some Korean barbecue or Japanese barbecue. Is it Korean or Japanese? I think it's called Japanese barbecue sauce. It's it makes me think of Korean barbecue though. Mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't have yeah. enough spice in it. I think if you add chili to it, then it would probably like lean more on that like bimbap side of things and it's delicious either yeah. way. Very good. Awesome. Yep, you have one, not today. Well, Kansas City, the people of Kansas City. Oh, you know, yeah. I already went on my tangent that is my yeah. favorite. So. Shout out Kansas City. You know, and I gotta say the people in Georgia are lovely as well. So yeah. kudos. I approve. You have my stamp. That's me stamping. <laughs> my approval. <laughs> well, this was fun. Thanks it for listening fun. to the Beth and Julie show. Yeah, we made it. And hopefully Kevin gets to feeling better and is back next week. Yeah, we love you, Kevin. Feel better. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Market Proof Marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers? Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs>